Amen. Good morning. How y'all feeling today? All right, so look, I'm just going to put all my cards on the table. I'm going to need y'all to do me a favor right quick. Would you stand with me right quick for the reading of God's word, if you're physically able to? I want to invite you to either turn or type to John chapter 15. Turn or type to John chapter 15. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11 this morning, and we're going to talk about real relationships, a real connection to the true and living vine, and what that looks like as interconnectedness with the branches who were followers, true disciples of Jesus. I want to read the text, pray, and then we will dive in this morning. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11 says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you were clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, as we continue to process through what it means to be the body, the temple, the reality of being connected to the vine, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use me to simply be a microphone to amplify your word. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would mobilize every hearer to be discontent with just hearing the word, but to be doers of the word. May we look at our Father with eyes of truthful beauty, Lord God, that we behold your glory. And at the same time, may we walk away with the confidence and an assurance that if we are truly your branches, then we are connected to the vine, meaning that we are cared for by the competent hands of the vine dresser. Let these truths anchor in our soul deeply at the ages that we are, so that in your grace, as we continue to grow on this side of eternity, may we bear much fruit for your glory. In Christ's name alone we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So growing up, I had a homie that dude was like the total package. I mean, he was like super buff, cut at a young age. He had good hair. All the girls liked him. He was of mixed ethnicities. But the problem with my homie is that he had a deep insecurity when it came to interpersonal relationships. So on the external, though everybody thought he had everything all together internally, this brother was a tortured soul. And he would regularly walk up to me, buffing the whole nine. And he would be like, hey, D, hey, cuz. And I'd be like, what's good, cuz? He'd be like, are you mad at me? And I'd be like, bro, what is you talking about right now? Am I mad at you? I just walked in the door. How am I going to be mad at you? I'm just saying, man, like, are, are, are we good? Are you mad at me? Like, that's how he would act. And, like, this went on all the years of our relationship. I would tell this brother, I ain't got no problem with you. I ain't seen you. Like, I'm good, bro. Like, we straight. 
Okay, I just, I just want to make sure you ain't mad at me, man, because I don't know how I would do if you're mad at me, cuz. And I'm like, bruh, you could knock me out with your eyelash, bruh. Like, like, we good. I ain't got no problem with you, man. Like, we good, cuz. And it was just hard for him to wrap his mind around what it meant to be in a secure relationship that he didn't have to perform to maintain the goodness of the relationship. And a lot of this is connected back to the fact of his horrible, horrible relationship with an abusive father. Is this the... Yeah, we may switch. It's all good. It's all good. See, in God's providence, I used to rap, so I know how to handle a handheld. <laughs> Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. All right. We good? We straight? All right. We're going to keep it moving. All right. So, as it relates to the homie and his dad was an abusive dad, it scarred this brother with deep insecurities that he didn't even know how to respond to an interpersonal relationship in a way with brothers that really loved him and cared for him and had no problem with him because of the deep insecurities, distrust, and abuse from a father. And so often I think the woundedness that maybe we have incurred from our own biological parents, whether they abandoned us, neglected us, or whether they live with us, but they're not presently engaged in our lives, like we, we take that hurt and we frame God in a similar perspective as if God is suspect and he's always got a problem with us and we got to perform in order to receive the good grace of God. This is why this text is so crucial, is that we understand if we're connected to the vine, God ain't got a problem with us in the sense of us receiving his wrath through a broken relationship. So the main point I think of this passage this morning is this. The meaningfulness of our relationship with God is put on display by the flourishing of relationships with all others who too are connected to the vine. Simply put, if we are right with God, we should be right with each other. Being right with God will have a reflection of being right with each other, and this is a cultivation of a culture of what it looks like to be connected to the vine. So the first thing I want to walk through is what it means to be connected and have a connection and production as it relates verses 1 through 4. So the picture Jesus says is, I am. First thing he says, I am. This is the seventh and final time that he uses this phrase, the I am declarative statements, and go on me in the Greek, I, comma, I am. It's his establishment of proclaiming, I'm God, but he's expressing the realities of what the attributes of his deity benefit those who are connected to him with. He says, I am the true vine. The language of the vine is not something that his followers were unfamiliar with. And the major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, even in the Psalms, God refers to Israel as his vine, his vine that was unfaithful, that did not produce fruit. Jeremiah 2.21 says, Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? So Jesus' language of I am, he is God, I am the true vine. What he's saying is I am what Israel never was, true, real, authentic, perfect obedience to the Father. The word true means to be authentic and genuine. That's why I framed the sermon calling it real relationships, true relationships, authentic. The vine is the source of all nutrients to the branch. Without being connected to the vine, the branch cannot produce any fruit. We got this little device in the crib, and she go by the name of Alexa. And Alexa, when connected to the source of power, 
obeys the commands of the voice. Now, when the commands of our voice are unsure, Alexa's like, I don't know what you mean by that, right? So we got to repeat the phrase in a way that Alexa can understand the spoken word, which is the spoken command for her to do what we have communicated for her to do. Alexa, play my Andre Crouch playlist. Alexa, play dog sounds. Alexa, play thunderstorm sounds. Playing thunderstorm sounds. You know, like, so then she even pitches things like, you can subscribe, Alexa, stop, play the sound, okay. Like, you know, so like, the whole idea is that I caught my son one day not understanding that Alexa won't work if Alexa's not connected by the cord to the Alexa to the power, suppo power supply through the wall outlet and so he was sitting there Alexa play all I want for Christmas and I'm like number one brother it ain't Christmas okay let Mariah Carey breathe for a minute number two Alexa gotta be connected to the source of power without being connected Alexa won't work mijo and he's like well what do you mean so I said look here is the cord it connects to Alexa I plug it in the wall then you see it take a quick minute little circular lights now, boom, Alexa's ready. Alexa, play All I Want for Christmas by Mariah Carey. Playing All I Want for Christmas by Mariah Carey, right? So like, he's like, oh, so he sees, ah, it doesn't produce if it's not connected to the source of power. That's what Jesus is saying. We cannot participate in God's mission. We can't go if we are not connected to the vine who is Christ, who is connecting us to the source of life, which is God the Father. We are to obey God and his verbal spoken commands in the written word as we live on mission, as we go. Speaking of the Father, Jesus calls him the vine dresser. The word vine dresser is probably a little bit better framed as farmer or somebody who works the land. The vine dresser has a vested interest in the vine and the branches. His expertise is to nurture, to take care of, to trim and defend the vine. And the vine dresser is competent, studied, well understood in how the process of viticulture works. Very similar in school or our place of work. If we have a problem because we're so technologically connected to devices, we have a department set aside called IT. IT knows coding, they're competent, they can come in and often they will say, okay, why did you download this? Or you know what, didn't you read the email that says don't accept emails with this attachment, it's a virus. Like it, they are there to protect because they have a vested interest in keeping your school network clean, keeping your work network clean, allowing your device to be connected to the network so that it can be maintenance and then it can be productive and the reason that it was even brought into the space of that network. Well, in a greater way, God the Father provides us with absolute competence and care for us. And in his word, he's telling us, don't accept the lies of the world. Don't fall victim to this. Don't lose your identity that is secured in Christ if you're connected to the vine, because Satan wants you to think that the father is not a good father. All of these essences help us recognize that the vine dresser actually has a vested interest in our relationships, not just with him, but with the rest of the branches around us. Speaking of the branch, Jesus says, that's every believer, every follower of Christ. In John chapter 14, verse 20, Jesus says, in that day, after he ascends to the Father, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And the 16 times that Jesus uses this phrase, in me, in John's gospel, he is speaking about those that have a right relationship with him. It's never speaking to the non-believing world. 
It's always speaking to those who have embraced him, who are in a right relationship with him. That being said, Jesus continues and said, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it, be, it may be more fruitful. Brothers and sisters, listen to me, man. It takes time to bear fruit. It even takes Alexa. From the time that we plug Alexa in, it takes a few moments. She don't just start playing music immediately. She's got to warm up and get situated and set up, and then she's ready to receive the command, and then she goes by what we tell her to do. This word that is used and translated, take away, I think is better translated lift up. Take away kind of leads us to think, oh snap, if I don't do everything right and perform well, I'm going to get tossed away. God's going to forsake me. He's going to abandon me. He's going to kick me out. And if you come from a family structure where relationships are not seen as permanent and you've endured divorce or your people were never married or relationships fall apart, even you experience breakups and makeups and breakups yet again. The reality of that tension allows us to think, oh snap, if I don't do everything perfectly, then God stopped loving me, he's gonna kick me out. That's not what Christ is saying. The reality of what Jesus is saying, I think, is better understood based on what Gary Derrickson has communicated in which he talks about how the Jews would have heard this and Jesus is using viticulture. I use Alexa and I use IT and computers because that's understandable to us. Jesus wasn't gonna talk about IT department in first century Palestine. They'd have been like, bro, what is you talking about right now? So the reality we have to understand is how did they hear? What is the words Jesus used so that we can understand how they would have interpreted what Jesus said very clearly? Derrickson says, in the springtime, vine dressers would lift up branches that were not bearing fruit. So the ones that were bearing fruit, he would prune them, but the ones that were not, that were hanging on the ground, they may have mold or disease. He wouldn't just cut them off and throw them away. He would lift them up and he would cleanse them. He would place them on a trellis that they would be hanging on so that they could dry off and now they would have greater exposure to the sunlight. If the Father gives you and I competent care, brothers and sisters, he will lift us up and cleanse us and place us on a trellis to give us greater exposure to the words of his Son so that there's one reason that we would bear fruit. It takes time to bear fruit. Fruit bearing is the external evidence of internal activity. Fruit bearing is the external evidence of internal activity. You know, when I came to know Christ as Savior, before I turned 16, I had an addiction to smoking weed. And when I embraced Christ on March 31st, 1996, my desire to smoke weed did not go away. I struggled with it. I struggled with it, and I struggled with it. I would say, I'm going to live right and holy, and then I would fall. I would relapse. And then I would say, oh, man, Lord, Father, forgive me. And I felt like I had to do all kinds of spiritual calisthenics so that God would at least look at me in a favorable way again, make things go right in life again. I was very immature because I was a newborn. I didn't understand. I didn't know better. But I remember as I kept surrendering this to God and I kept saying, Lord, help me. I remember January 21st, 1997. I was walking to the bus stop. I grew up in Kansas City. It was like wind chill below zero. They didn't cancel school, and I was a little salty about that, to be honest with you. And I'm walking to school, 
And all of a sudden, I'm like, it's cold. So I pulled out a little something, lit it up, started walking like, man, Lord, I just need you to help me today while I'm smoking weed. And then all of a sudden, I hit the corner on 21st Street, and I was deeply grieved and convicted. And I sensed the Lord impressing on my heart, that is enough. And I remember looking at that, throwing it down, stomping it out, putting it in the rocks and the snow so no one would find it. And I remember that my buzz hit me 10 minutes later, and I was so grieved. I was so broken, and I said, Father, this is an addiction I cannot face on my own. I sincerely need you, Jesus. I confessed my struggle to my brothers and sisters in my youth group. I confessed it to the adult leaders. I confessed it to my mother, and I said, I want to be free from this, but I know that if I try to do this on my own, I'll never walk in the true freedom that I need. I need other eyes on my life asking me. I need people looking at me. You got Visine in your pocket? Your eyes look glossy. I need y'all asking me these questions to help me remember that I am not a slave to weed. I'm a slave to Christ. And you know what? In that moment, the Father cleansed me, and he was lifting me up, and he placed me in a trellis, which was my youth group, an accountability structure. He exposed me to the light of God's word and the Son of Christ. And it was through that process that he began bearing fruit in my life, and it's been on and popping for the last 24 years ever since. Continuing on, this idea of producing. Jesus says, already you were clean. Because of the word that I've spoken to you, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He tells his disciples, you're clean, you are pruned, but there's still much more fruit to be born. The entire teaching of Jesus in this text is centered on who we are with him. He is the vine and we are his true disciples. So Jesus commands, not suggests, he don't say when you feel like it. He says, abide in me. Now, there's two senses of the use of the phrasing abide that Jesus has in John's gospel. In the first sense, it means a saving faith in Jesus, like in John chapter 6. Every follower of Christ is abiding in Jesus through salvation by grace through faith. But the second, like in John chapter 8 verse 31, is intimacy that is gained through obedience. And not every believer is operating in this. It is best understood as the aspect of remaining clean while abiding in Christ is that we are continuously seeking to be washed and renewed by the Word of God, not our own opinions, not what the outside world would say or not the opinions of other people, but rather the Word of God so that we can walk in obedience to the commands that we're hearing and the Holy Spirit's empowerment is giving us the desire to do such. You know, it's almost like when my children do something as an infraction of one of the house rules. There's a tension that is put in the relationship. And often my kids know when they do something wrong that they know that, no, mom and dad have said, this is outside of the framework of the boundaries of life inside this home, and they do it. Then they try to play it off like, oh man, I was just playing. No, you weren't playing. Like, don't play me right now, you weren't playing. You meant what you did because you knew what the rule, well, what's the rule? Well, I ain't supposed to dot, dot, dot. Exactly, you knew. It wasn't an accident. You didn't stumble. You went and pursued this. You literally took time out of your life to carve out a pathway to sin. That's what you did. Don't play it off. It's not a joke. So when they try to joke with me, I'm like, no, we need to resolve this tension. And then we can have a restoration of genuine fellowship. See, when there's tension in a relationship, it doesn't mean the relationship is over. 
when my children sin or they do something against me and my wife, it doesn't mean we kick them out the family. What it means is there's a tension. All jokes aside, let's deal with this. Oh, you don't want to deal with it? Okay, there's going to remain this tension. And sometimes the older my children get, the longer that tension is felt because they don't want to admit, confess, and repent. And I'm like, you're still my daughters. You're still my son. We're still going to feed you. I'm still going to, you know, let you live in the home. I'm not going to kick you out. But there's tension in the relationship, but the relationship still exists. And for some of us, we got to recognize the distinction that you know what, there may be unconfessed sin in our lives, that we are connected to the vine through salvation, but we are not walking in obedience to the word of God. And there's tension that God is like, we need to deal with this. And we want to joke with God. We want to seek coping mechanisms. We want to look to other things and we want to manufacture fake fruit to make people think that, oh, we're good with God. And God is like, we ain't moving forward until we deal with this. And God is saying, let's deal with it. The fact that there's tension is evidence that there's still a relationship. If there were no tension, God would sever us, cut us off. But he does not say that he does that to his children. So when we sin, we interrupt our intimate fellowship with God. It doesn't break our relationship with him. The spirit of God that lives in us grieves us, convicts us, and draws us to confess, to seek accountability, discipleship, so that we can bear fruit for the glory of God. But that leads us to understanding compensation and payments. The compensation for our sins, but then even the reward of payment that we get from God. So let's talk about bearing fruit, verses 5 through 8. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. When speaking of our fruit production, we have to understand the branches of a grapevine are made of wood. It's a unique wood, but it's only used for decoration. You don't build homes with this type of wood. It's not strong enough to build on. Jesus is telling us, that bearing fruit is dependent on our connection to him. But the reality of that is that we are called to bear fruit, not to build off one another, so to speak. And I think what he's trying to tell us is is that fellowship of the saints is deeply important, but it does not shape our identity. Our identity is secure in being connected to the vine, but we are interconnected as the branches together. So what does that mean? That means that we should not root our identity, our acceptance or rejection based on other people. We are not called to build our world on the unsturdy wood of the other branches. We are called to remain connected to the vine and interconnected to one another, not building our reputation, our hopes, and our dreams on one another. When we do that, that leads to disappointment. Disappointment is evidence of misplaced trust. That's what fractures and divides the people of God from one another so much, is that we're trying to build our identity on each other rather than being content with being connected to the vine. And I think what we have to understand is that Christians will disappoint you. People who love God that are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, they will sin against you. And you will sin against them and you will disappoint them. But that doesn't mean that we now sever and cut people off and act like they ain't even believers anymore because the Father doesn't treat us that way. So neither should we treat each other that way. We should rather learn to focus, okay, they're connected to the vine, I'm connected to the vine. Maybe my disappointment is in the fact that I was trying to build my identity, build my ministry, build my acceptance, build my sonship or my daughtership on another person outside of Christ. Maybe I made them an idol. Maybe the issue is not them, maybe it's me putting them in a place I should have never put them. Often we see this in relationships between boyfriends and girlfriends. 
We see it in our toxic friend groups. So that's where we have to understand the times that we live in, how to be discerning of who is around us. Are they connected to the vine? And are they leading me to abide more deeply in appreciative of the vine? Or are they seeking to distract me, seeking to build my identity, my joy, my hopes on maybe other branches? Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. I was raised in an environment where we were told that, yes, you're saved by grace, but you got to stay saved. God can't keep you if you don't want to be kept. And for so many years of my life, I tortured myself thinking that I had to perform to maintain my salvation. Because I was told that if you believe that once God saves you and you remain saved and kept, then you get lazy and you go into sin. So it was like a motivation to not go back into sin by saying you can lose your salvation. And that tortured me. I didn't really come to an understanding of, of this type of a passage until I was 30 years old. I tortured myself with self-inflicted pain because I did not understand the Word of God. And I was too afraid to try to even engage a passage like this. I just said, I just want to know what I'm supposed to do, and let me just do that. I did not see God as a compassionate, competent vine dresser. I saw him as one who was just waiting with a match to light me on fire. I was wrong for that. So I had to learn to reframe my picture of God. But when I look at this text, I'm like, oh, but wait a minute. How, how is a competent vine dresser going to throw me into the fire? What does that mean? Well, again, the context is not saying we can lose salvation. Rather, going back to what Jesus' hearers would have understood, the practice of vine dressing is important. Jesus' words are actually comforting his disciples. He's not trying to discourage them. Remember, this is all within the dialogue of him telling them, yo, I got to go away, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Take heart. There's so many things I want to tell you, but I can't. And he's introducing the role of the Holy Spirit that they're, they're not even understanding. Like, wait, you said you're going to go? Wait a minute, what's going on? So he's comforting them. He's not trying to browbeat them or abuse them. He's tenderly loving them into the truth of the competent care of the Father, who is the vine dresser. So what he's saying is, since this is a real illustration of viticulture, we have to take a normal interpretation of the words Jesus used. The first thing we have to understand is Jesus is trying to give his disciples a warning in love. He's speaking about his disciples in this passage, but it also relates to us who are connected to the vine since we've embraced Christ. Because the disciples, like us, are connected to the vine and we abide in Christ as it relates to salvation. However, the disciples, like us, abiding in the sense of remaining intimate with no tension is all dependent on obedience to the word of God. So what he's saying is, is that even if you have spent time obeying the word of God and you get into a season where you're not obeying, God is going to seek to lift you up. He's going to keep pruning, keep vine dressing, but there will come a time that if you become useless, that you will see the evaluation judgment of God. So the second type of pruning mentioned here is not the same as in verse 2. There's actually a fall pruning process. So the reality of the fall pruning process is after the harvest in the fall, all the fruit has been collected and the vine dresser then takes the branches. They all look bare, the ones that bore fruit and the ones that did not. And when the branches have been very productive in the past, become unproductive and useless, their mature wood, he actually takes them into a pile and then burns them. That's not speaking of going to hell and spending eternity in the lake of fire. 
I think Jesus is actually telling us that what we do from the moment we're saved until we see God face to face is going to be evaluated. It's something called the Bema Seat. The Bema Seat is when God will assess all the actions that we did as those who were connected to the vine. And there will be in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 15, two types of products or rewards given. He says gold, silver, and precious stones. They will go through the fire of God's judgment, his right evaluation of all the works that we did, and some will come out as gold, silver, and precious stones. That's everything we did as a follower of Christ that was truly done for the glory of God. But then there's things that we do that are not for the glory of God, it's for the glory of self or for the satisfaction of self. And God is going to take all of those works and put them through his fiery righteous judgment and it will burn like wood, hay, and straw. And the reality of that is, is that that's not going to go into eternity with us. All the precious things that we did for the glory of God that were rightfully assessed by God. And he says, these are true. These are genuine. That's the rewards that we lay at the feet of the Father. It's almost like when I was growing up, we didn't have a lot of money. So we wouldn't go to like a lot of weddings or communions or first baptisms. Our family was Catholic. And the reason we wouldn't go to them is because we didn't want to face the embarrassment of showing up with nothing in hand. If we show up, you want to show up at least with a card. You want to show up at least with a little gift or a contribution. So the few times we got to go, I knew we were going because my mom said, okay, we had enough money and we can give them, you know, $10. We can give them $20. We can come with a gift in hand to give to the person of honor. And the reality of what I like to look at this passage as a way to motivate us is to say, man, when, when my good works, because it's not a judgment of condemnation, the reason it's not a judgment of condemnation is because those who have embraced Christ recognize Jesus absorbed in totality all the condemnation the Father would give to us. That's why Romans 8.1 says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the judgment, the assessment that we will receive is an evaluation of what we did while we were followers of Jesus. Did we go where God called us to go? Did we uplift Christ? Did we seek to make disciples? Did we follow the spiritual and social commands that Jesus laid out in his word? Because discipleship is inclusive of obeying the spiritual and social commands that Jesus gave us. That's what we're going to be evaluated on. It's not as if there's some rubric that you don't know about. It's not as if God has like left you clueless and you got to sit there in fear and trembling. No, there's an assurance and a confidence that, Lord, as I abide in you, as I pray and seek your heart, as I listen to your voice through your word, I will seek to walk in obedience. And when I don't, then I will seek your forgiveness. I will confess this sin and I want to keep on abiding. That's what Jesus is comforting them saying. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you put your life on cruise control. It means you keep leaning in, keep pressing, keep abiding. In addition to that, we recognize that life after salvation matters. We must live holy, remain connected to intimate fellowship because we will be evaluated. Yet we must understand the gospel, that it's only through Christ alone that we are connected to the vine who is Christ. The last point is, we have to evaluate the commandments Christ gives us and then the pleasures that we find in this life. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, abide in my love. This is a command from Christ, not a suggestion to his disciples, to abide in the love of Jesus, to keep on abiding. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Brothers and sisters, God does not stop loving us when we disappoint him. Let me say that one more time because I want that to soak in your soul. 
God does not stop loving us when we disappoint him. He doesn't. You know, we can sing, you know, you're a good, good God. It's who you are. You're a good, good father. We can sing that and still not believe that. And what I want you to understand is that when you look at the word of God, like in Jude, verse 1, and it says that you are beloved, that word beloved literally means the agape love of God. And it's written in what we call the perfect tense passive voice, which means perfect tense means a completed action in the past that has unwavering results moving forward. So God began to love us sometime in eternity past. And his love for us has never wavered whether we obey him or disobey him. But it's also passive, which means we do not have to actively seek for God's love and approval. We just have to learn to receive it. And for some of us, we have to stop seeking and start receiving the love of God. Jude also says that those who are beloved are being kept for or kept by Christ. Perfect tense, passive voice. There was a time that Christ saved us and he kept us and he's keeping us even through the present. That means you don't have to work to be kept. He is keeping you. So it's out of the assurance of being kept that it should lead us now to walk in obedience. That's what Jesus is saying. We need to stop even thinking about how to cut off or avoid other believers when they hurt us and disappoint us. Because if the Father doesn't stop loving us when we disappoint him, we need not to stop showing the love of God to others when they disappoint us. This is why Colossians 3.13 says, bearing with one another, and if anyone has complained against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And that is challenging. That is tough because some of the wounds that we will face, some of the friendly fire that we will have from other Christians, it's going to hurt. It's going to be life-altering. It could be damaging to our emotions and our mind. It could cause psychological situations and problems to surface and arise. Walking in forgiveness does not mean you have to be somebody's doormat. Walking in forgiveness means, man, I can set up healthy boundaries. But the reality is, I choose to release you from the debt that you incurred against me. I forgive you but I will walk in wisdom in my dealings with you. We have to learn how to find that balance. That's why being connected to a trellis, people who know the word in community that are living with you as the body, as branches connected to the vine, that's the trellis that we must be a part of to help us walk through those specific nuances that obviously I can't address because I don't know your context or situ situation. At the end of the day, it all boils down to what gives you joy. What gives you joy? What gives you satisfaction? Jesus said, all of these things that I shared, I've spoke to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. There's a lot of things that bring joy in life. I mean, I'll be honest with you. My Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl. I never thought that would ever happen in my lifetime. And it did. And I'm sitting there like, I couldn't even celebrate because I was just like, dang, this really happened. I'm not playing Madden right now. Like, I, like this really happened. Because on Madden, we win the Super Bowl every year, you know what I'm saying? But like, in real life, I'm like, oh, snap, we really did this thing. Was I filled with joy? Yeah. And I had me a nice old slice of cake to celebrate. Like, both things were bringing me joy. I was winning. I'm like, thank you, Lord. This is my best life right now. And the reality of that is, though, is that my identity is not in Kansas City Chiefs. Because I experience joy even when they lose, even when they don't make the playoffs, when they go 2-14. and 14. I still experience joy, not because of them 
But I've learned how to find a balance to enjoy the beauty of creation, to walk outside. And even though it's a little colder than California out here in North Carolina this morning, hey, the sun is shining. It's gorgeous outside. I get to be amongst the people of God. Brothers and sisters in the Sudan don't have this luxury right now. They're sleeping in caves overnight. And they have to have picnics under a tree in order to have worship services because there is no government-sanctioned building for them to gather in. There are brothers and sisters in Iraq that have no pastors, only women who are seeking to understand the scriptures and people that they're praying for pastors and missionaries to go to them to shepherd them with the word of God. They're gathering even in the spaces where they know they could be killed. Men and women in China, but also men and women in the United States who are living in context where they are persecuted for their faith and they're called religious bigots because they don't bow to the whims of every cultural nuance of society. There's things that we can find joy in. The question is, what are the things that we find joy in that shape our identity? See, loving God is demonstrated by obeying him. When we obey him, we abide in him with intimacy. Abiding in him with intimacy, brothers and sisters, brings joy and pure satisfaction. There was a time where I was teaching my daughter some of the scriptures in Spanish. And we were teaching her Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13, todo lo puedo en Cristo que me fortalece. We know, through Christ I can do all things. And I remember when I was teaching my daughter, Bella, that passage, I said, Miha, listen, I want you to quote this passage whenever you feel like you're going to sin or whenever you feel like there's, there's something that's stretching you and you need to cry out to Christ to help you in that moment not respond in your flesh or in a sinful way. And a few weeks later, I was trying to get a sermon done. I had some schoolwork I was trying to get done. I was frustrated. I was, I was angry because my day kept getting interrupted. And finally, when I had a moment to settle down and start working on the sermon, and it was Friday, and I'm like, man, I got to get this thing done. My daughter comes down five minutes into my sermon prep, and she's like, Daddy, will you play with me? And I said, no, I just sat down. Like, I, I've, been, I've been stopped all day from all y'all. Like, go upstairs, talk to your mom, watch TV, do something. Man, let me get some time to myself so I can freaking finish my sermon. Like, literally, that's what I said. And she just looked down and she said, okay, daddy. And she walked away. I didn't even feel bad. I felt justified because I'm doing the Lord's work. That's what I thought. She turned around when she got to the top stair and she looked at me and she said, Todo lo puedo en Cristo que me fortalece. And she walked away. 30 seconds later, I just started crying. I just said, really, man? This is where I'm at right now in life. I'm doing the Lord's work, but I'm telling my daughter to get away from me? I was like, man, what a good father you are. You never treat me that way. But now I've actually injured your reputation in the eyes of my daughter because of this failure of a father in this moment to consider his first ministry, which is my family. So I found my daughter and I confessed my sin. And I told her how her preaching of the word to me in that moment allowed the Holy Spirit to correct me so that I could rediscover joy. See, brothers and sisters, when your joy is rooted in abiding in Christ, even when you're corrected by somebody younger than you, you can say, that's satisfaction. It's satisfaction. Because my joy is not getting the sermon done. My joy is abiding in fellowship rightly with my Father and the fellowship of the branches. The meaningfulness of our relationship 
with God is put on display by the flourishing of the relationships with all others who too are connected to the vine. As the worship team comes up, let's allow our hearts to be reflective and postured to hear from the Lord as he would speak to us about being connected to the vine. Father, in this moment, we turn to you from hearing your word. Spirit of the living God, I pray that you would speak to us in only the way that you can, that you would allow our hearts to be comforted, corrected, and challenged. I pray that we would have clarity and clear visibility of what it means to be a branch, what it means to be connected to the vine, what it means to have competent nurturing care from the vine dresser. Help us to evaluate our level of intimacy with you by the level of obedience that we share for you by listening and applying your word. Show us these things that we cannot discover on our own. We are dependent on you. I pray for fruitful relationships, both vertically with every follower of Christ to you. And if there are those that are not followers of Christ, maybe, may they be compelled by the beauty of the gospel that they have been hearing to put faith in Christ. But I also pray for flourishing in the horizontal relationships within the body of Christ. Is that as a testimony that as we go, Father, the world will believe that we are your witnesses by the oneness and the love that they see that comes from you, but is displayed through us. For it's in Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen and amen.